millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Mark Hillman. And this is Emmett Hillman. And we're coming to you from the historic and beautiful Germantown Cricket Club outside of Philadelphia. Which is almost as historic and beautiful as the Tennis Podcast. Thank you very much to Mark and Emmett for their intro there, coming from just outside of Philadelphia, a city that is on my would like to visit list. Oh, I've heard right. very good I've heard very good things. Yeah. Mm. I, I wanna I wanna run up the steps like Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wanna walk around listening to the streets of Philadelphia. Yes, mm. I'd like to do that. Maybe, I believe we, it was, maybe we could do both at the same time. <laughs> the f- the f- <laughs> you might want a more upbeat energy, David, but sure. <laughs> yeah. You can stroll up and down the steps, you I'll know, just, a sort of a lollop. I'm happy with the rocky music. Mm, okay. Well, anyway, thank you very much to Mark and Emmett for your intro there. Hello. Welcome to this brand new Listener Questions tennis podcast special. Happy birthday to my mum. Oh. oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Catherine's mum. <laughs> we don't usually do birthday shout-outs, do we? It, it just came to me, Monday, October the 25th. Uh, unless, mum, you're listening to this not on the day of its release, in which case, belated happy birthday. <laughs> um, yeah, we have got guest editor Dave Cortine for this week's podcast. Dave has come up with some of his own questions. In fact, uh, his 16-year-old daughter, Rose, has helped him uh, sift through the questions that we've had in from various bits of social media. He says, Rose is a bit of a tennis stato. She's always correcting me on who, won, and where, and she even has this reputation at school. In RE, where they were discussing equal rights for women, very different RE classes to the one I, ones I had. Um, the teacher was asking about tennis giving equal pay at the Grand Slams, then stopped and asked Rose if this was just true at Wimbledon or at all slams. Having listened to the Billie Jean King editions, Rose not only knew there was equal pay, but remembered when each slam went with equal pay. We like Rose, don't we? Yes, immensely. Mm. Uh, and we immensely. like Dave as well. Who's uh, Dave actually works... In tennis, he runs leisure clubs, but he staged and stages tournaments at the Shrewsbury Club 
um, Ooh, in the pla- UK. Place of place of my birth. Yes, and uh, I think not, I might, might have mentioned not the tennis club. <laughs> no, I think I <laughs> might have mentioned it on the show a few years ago when I attended one of his events, and it, he, he puts on great events. Um, yeah, and he's a, he's a massive supporter of the tennis podcast. And did you know? Did I ever tell you that I first met Dave Cortine when I was about oh twelve? Did I ever tell you that? No. Nope. Yes. Yeah. No. No, you have because oh. isn't there a, isn't there another part of that Stitch story? Up. Yeah, he he worked at a holiday camp in East Anglia, which I was a guest at, and he was one of the sort of sports organisers. And my sister had a massive crush on him. Oh, this is ringing a bell. <laughs> yes. Although I, I remembered it as you had a crush on his sister. Ooh, that's a twist that I didn't even know about myself. Has Has Dave seen you play tennis, David? No. Has he seen that fearsome serve boom down? No. Before no, the net, he hasn't. <laughs> no. It's uh, okay. It, it's it's a, a challenge match that we have promised to enact in the future, though. Okay. And I have met his daughter, and she's lovely, and his whole family are lovely, and they're well. Anyway, delighted to have them as our edit- guest editors. Well, his challenge for you today, David, is a bunch of um, very hard-hitting questions, I have to say. Dave and Rose have had their editorial hats on. They're, they, they've done us proud, um, as all our guest editors always do. We've got some great questions here. Some of them have come in through social media or various channels that, that Dave and Rose have sifted through, as I say. So, are we ready to crack on? Yes, yes let's. we are. Okay, the first question I would like to hit you with, courtesy of Dave and Rose, is thus. Will we look back and think that Emma Raducanu's phenomenal US Open success did more damage than good for her career? She now heads into 2022 with a huge target on her back and with incredible scrutiny from the press, despite only playing in five tournaments on the WTA Tour. Had she lost in the first week at the US Open... Would she have been able to build her career in a more structured way and ultimately have been more successful? Not that that's a a, a massive, sweeping, hypothetical-based question or anything, but who would like to tackle that one first? Well, we do love a massive, sweeping, hypothetical here on the Tennis Podcast, don't we? I do, anyway. Um, Look, I I think she'll be fine. Personally, my, my expectation is that she will be fine, that there will be bumps in the road, that there will be moments when she finds it all a bit much or makes a decision and can't understand the degree of scrutiny or has a run of bad results. This is human nature. It is not all going to go in a straight line from anonymity to worldwide success and global fame. And this is an incredible story to start her career, one that I didn't see coming, nobody saw coming, and which has just changed tennis. It really has changed tennis, certainly here in in Britain. It's given it an injection of life, um, which, well, I think we're all thankful for, for people that work in the sport and everybody who watched her run was inspired by and enthused by. Um, But it is... It is interesting as a case study as to whether it will cause problems for her um, that wouldn't have happened had she had a more gradual development. Um, personally, I think you take what you can get, you, t- you you just run with it. And I think I think she will be fine. The other ones that 
have had this sort of emergence are people like Boris Becker winning Wimbledon at 17. Out of nowhere, suddenly he is just so recognised. I do get a bit concerned by the the reaction, the sort of instinctive reaction to any quotes about her right now. I was reading this morning, Tracy Austin had said something on Tennis Channel about her coaching, about Radicana's coaching situation and how she thinks she should rehire Andrew Richardson and have a familiar face, etc., etc. Suddenly that's a headline. I just, just calm down, everybody. Calm down. I mean, it's, uh, she's had one match since winning the US Open and I think everybody just need, can, can dial that down a bit. Um, and, uh, but I think ultimately, I think this will be the launch pad for her. She may have a, a period of maybe even a year where not much happens. And I just think that's all right. But I think she will end up having a fantastic career. Um, injuries, health permitting. Um, that's my expectation. Yeah, I think as the question touches on, and as you've said there, David, there's no doubt that there are aspects of what Raducanu has done by winning the US Open that probably will make the road ahead a bit harder in terms of the scrutiny and just the opinions out there. But there's also lots of ways in which it makes the road a lot easier for her in terms of she's suddenly going to be getting into tournaments that she doesn't have to grind her way towards. Um, she's suddenly going to get access to the best coaches in the world you know she's in that situation at the moment it, it sort of maybe she hasn't got choice of whoever but it certainly feels like that it certainly feels like who she wants she will probably get um and of course there are cautionary tales about players who've who've had a, a great launch into the sport and haven't haven't been able to build on it or have been burdened by that whatever um but in terms of her career she's already had a career that lots of players would envy and want to trade theirs for so I think it sort of really depends on your expectations of her career just yeah I mean this next year could be could be less successful I suppose um but that doesn't mean that her career is going to be bad I, I still think I still think she can build um even when people want things to happen straight away I, I think she understands that she can build and after she lost in Indian Wells she had I think the best perspective of anyone pretty much recognizing that it was going to take time saying she needs to cut herself some slack so i you know look everything she's done so far has put her in a great position and i sort of trust her and have belief in her she's she's intelligent she knows her herself she knows her game i think yeah i feel the same i i understand the the, the caution and the trepidation sort of Im, implicit in the question there are as you say there are enough cautionary tales that 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 we should have caution in discussing her and predicting anything in particular for her and and you know obviously Jennifer Capriati is is the most alarming one in terms of female teenage success ending up probably being to the to the detriment of her overall happiness but there was an awful lot else going on there beyond success on the tennis court and we we we're not privy to to everything about her setup and her life and and her personality but i see enough significant differences that i i don't worry about 
that sort of scenario. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean, as David says, there aren't going to be bumps in the road. There may be massive bumps in the road. Um but I I agree I agree with both of you. Overall, um I don't I don't think there's enough cause for alarm to think that winning a Grand Slam could be anything other than than a great thing. So long as we are careful with what we expect and predict from her, um, I think it will, I, I, I think it, I don't see any chance that she'll look back and think, God, I wish I hadn't won that US Open in 2021. Um, yeah, I think that is highly unlikely. But that doesn't mean that you know, she's not going to have a target on her back and there's not going to be a bit of second season syndrome where players start figuring her out and making a point of, you know, exploiting her weaknesses and exposing weaknesses and all of that. All of that will happen, but that's that's part of the process. That is what happens. Um, and I I back her. I back her to figure it all out. So, yes, I appreciate the caution, but let's let's not let's not go too far down the sort of party pooping route I suppose it's also okay to be excited about and for Emma Raducanu I think so we've all we've all agreed on question one you can't you can't keep going like this can it <laughs> question number two folks from Dave and Rose the top 10 men's seeds at India Miles were all 25 years or under given the dominance of the top three slash four players over the last 10 years or so, have we now skipped a generation? Has the Djokovic-Federer-Nadal era meant that other players aged 25 to 32 years of age... You you can just say Grigor, Grigor Dimitrov, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> has it meant that other players aged uh, 25 to 32 don't know how to win big tournaments? And just as they have the chance to step into the big three shoes, they're being outperformed by the next-gen group. It's a great question. I mean, in short, Dave, I think, yeah. I think the last 10 years have been brutal for that group of challenges. And we're now at the point of too much baggage accumulation. That's my feeling. I mean, I'm not going to stand for the Dominic team erasure of the 25 to 32 age bracket he is in there he has won a big title he has proved himself but certainly I think the overall point we're, is extremely we're looking at valid. Nishikori Dimitrov Raonic yeah look I, I think there was a time when the big four were dominating and people recognized that players from their generation were not going to get a look in at winning the big titles or maybe they'd have one chance like a Burdick or a Songa or a Ferrer so I think most people, myself included, then fell into the trap of thinking, oh, well, it will be the next generation. It will be Dimitrov. It will be Nishikori. It will be Raonic. But actually what's happened is it's been another generation skip. And now we're at Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas. And arguably that's taken longer than you would expect. And now you've got Sinner and Alcaraz and Orger Aliassime sort of pushing through as well. So... I think, yeah, I mean, the answer to this question, I think, is yes. We are at a point where I do not expect Nishikori, Raonic, Dimitrov, those players to win big titles. As you said, too much baggage, too many younger players who I think are better than them now. Imagine 2014 Matt having to listen to 2021 Mm. Matt say that Nishikori will never win (laughs) 
never win major titles. Catherine, imagine 2012 us saying that Dimitrov... Well, go on then. Cue you, David, making the case for Dimitrov's big moment (laughs) still still being yet to come. Well, one of the things that interests me is I think our assumption is it's just a question of timing and mental baggage build-up. But maybe they just weren't as good. Maybe Raonic and Dimitrov... Well, of course they weren't as good as the big three. No, but what I'm saying is I think the assumption is that had they just come along in a different era, that they would have won more. And whereas if you... And there's this sort of hope that because these much, much younger players have not been beaten up by these all-time greats, that they will be able to cope and, and end up breaking out and winning. And that... I I certainly make that same assumption. I always always have that that it's just a question of poor timing. But I I always remember Dimitrov playing Wimbledon one year and losing to Richard Gasquet. And somebody in the commentary box with me was just saying, you know, look, maybe he's just not quite as good as you think he is. Uh, uh, and and I think that, that there is something to that because it looks so good because it looks so extravagant and and we always judge talent i was thinking about this when we were talking about cameron norrie the other day the assumption is that cameron norrie isn't as talented as maybe dan evans or certain other players who have more extravagant strokes but isn't that just a a definition of what talent is that maybe i'm falling short on for instance because it's appearances that that i'm that i've tended to judge over the years and i i just uh, i i wonder I'm quite interested in the fact that Medvedev is 25, so he's just on the cusp and he has broken through. But will the others? Will the, I mean, Zverev seems to me to be kind of holding on to his scar tissue and keeping it at bay just about because he's got this crazy sense of how good he is and how destined he is. Uh, uh, not crazy, but extreme, let's say that. Um and so, and I do think his his game is is dangerous to to a lot of players, but he still hasn't done it. Now, will he? Will Sitsipas break through? Is there another generation about to be skipped? I, I'm I'm quite interested in that. I think that's very interesting in terms of were they not good enough? I suppose some evidence we we have is that you know Dimitrov's closest moments to winning a Slam he did lose to Djokovic at Wimbledon. Nadal at the Australian Open, you know, he played great, great tennis, but he ran into all-time greats. Raonic lost a Wimbledon final to Andy Murray. How many times have we seen Kane Nishikori beat everyone else at a slam and lose in the quarterfinals to Novak Djokovic? I mean, it feels like sort of every slam that there's been in the last three years that has (laughs) happened. Um, But I take your point. But I think they did show themselves to be better than everyone else. They just often ran into three of the greatest of all time and I I think that is a question of timing Mm. yeah I feel the same and and, and I uh, I feel like you know I I feel like Andy Roddick is a really good example of timing isn't he because you know he he he, he's the first to say look yeah I just you know a guy called Roger Federer happened and I just, you know, I couldn't beat him. And he, he snuck in there and won his slam and reached world number one just before Roger Federer secured his stranglehold on tennis. Just, he just snuck in in time and got those achievements under his belt. S- six months later, 
he, you know, he 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 might never have achieved those things, and we'd be looking at a completely different career, completely different person now, most likely. And he r- still wrung every drop out of his career, absolutely. Didn't he? And and he, I mean, he so nearly took out Federer at his best, really. Once or twice at the bit, you know, he got mm-hmm. very close in '04 and '09 at Wimbledon, but you're you're right. Is it, he is a, he is an interesting example? Yeah, I agree. Mm. And I I certainly agree. I, I really agree with your analysis there, David, about sort of re, reframing what we consider to be talent and potential. But I do think that's perhaps a lot more applicable to Dimitrov than than Raonic or or Nishikori. Not that they're not. You know, they don't have aesthetically pleasing elements of their game. But um, I certainly, yeah, I think we probably have been skewed. We were seduced, Catherine, really, was... weren't we, back in 2012? <laughs> we were. Yes. I, I, st- I only need to watch one point of Dimitrov now in 2021 <laughs> when he plays a beautiful point, And I still find myself thinking possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I just okay. love the guy. I can't help it. I love watching yes. him. I think he's a lovely fella. Dave Rose, in answer to your question, Matt and Catherine were seduced by Grigor Dimitrov in 2012. And it's been a, it's been a rocky road for all of us since then. <laughs> question number three. Four teenagers who have had breakthrough years over the last two years. Raducanu, Fernandez, Goff and Svantec brackets. Okay, I know she's 20 now. Put them in order of how they will finish in the rankings at the end of 2022. He's he's asking us to do predictions. How is this snuck in there? We need to we need on, to Dave. put, Love put it. rules on our <laughs> on our guest editors in future. Uh, his order from high to low, incidentally, is Fernandez, Schwantek, Goff, Radicani. Go on, Matt. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> that was sly. <laughs> this feels like the sort of, I don't know, your top five favorite books question or albums. Oh. It just changes. It sort of depends on yeah. the mood. Um, yeah. Today. Separate show on those. Today, right now, um, I would go Svantec highest. Um, I think she's backed up her breakthrough season well. You know, she maybe hasn't had the standout result. But she's been consistent. She's still won titles. Her game translates seemingly to all surfaces. Um, I think she's doing well. She's at the top for me. Um, the other three is re- I find really really tough. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say Goff, Raducanu, Fernandez to Ooh. to follow. Um, Goff, I was thinking. You know, th- there was a time this this season where we were predicting quite big things for Goff. There's probably been a time where we've done that for everyone. But, you know, she, she's not had bad losses this year. I was looking back over her record. She's lost to, you know, Osaka, Pliskova, Svitolina, Jabur, Kerber, Stevens, Benchik, Krejcikova. These are the players that have beaten her since, you know, kind of the start of the year. And Sevastova, I think, a couple of times. These are These are not bad losses. She's beating most of the players she should beat. And I think... She is improving her game. She's she's still got some weaknesses. The forehand is probably the main one, the serve at times. But I like her fight. I like her competitive instincts. I think she's, again, got a game that translates to clay, which I think is important. That's my 
that's my worry about Fernandez and Raducanu. What might they do on the clay? And that's quite a big portion of the season. There's quite a lot of points there. Um, what I've said about Goff certainly applies to Fernandez as well in terms of liking her competitive instincts. Um, she maybe doesn't quite have the target on her back like Raducanu does, just simply because Raducanu won that US Open final. Um, but she's got a little bit more tour experience. But I, I, I think Raducanu might have an, another another big result next season and sort of those points might might carry her ahead of Fernandez. But yeah, it's it's really tough to separate those three. I feel pretty pretty sure about Sviontek and the others are, are very close. And it's look, it's exciting having three players like that. Yeah, I I, f- I definitely feel the same about Sviontek. I feel like she she's won a slam and she's she's backed that up massively. She's had the most consistent slam season of anybody. I think it, fourth round or better mm. of all the slams. You know that that's really significant. I think and yeah, you know. She hasn't won another one, but she's she's still only twenty years old, and to have that consistency, I I see is is really significant for Shriantek. So she's the one I feel most secure about of those four. Look, I, I the, there are none of those I worry about in terms of being flashes in the pan or not having basically really really good careers. But in terms of next year, taking Shriantek out of it because I I I'd probably put her top. I, I mean, look, Coco Goff is the youngest of those. Let's remember, she she's been on our radar the longest by far, but she's also the youngest. She's seventeen years old, and I do, I do think perhaps she might need to take a. From what I gather from people that know better than me, she does need to make some technical changes to her game. And sometimes when that happens, you have to take a step back before you can take those steps forward. So I think it's possible. That, that if she does that, if she addresses the the forehand and I think the the second serve as well, that that she she could take that step back next season. I I don't know. I'm speaking about technical stuff, which is a bit beyond my brief. But I would may if I had to say now, I would probably go Sviontek, Fernandez, Raducanu, Goff. There you go, David. I had written down exactly the same list as Matt has got uh, in the same order. And for for the same reasons on Sviantec, on, on Goff, I was probably the, the one at the head of the queue of the three of us really thinking that she was going to have a breakthrough moment this year, not just a year, because I think this has been another good year for her for, for the reasons you outline. And, and they were the ones that contributed to me thinking she was going to end up having a really massive run at a, at a Grand Slam. And, um, and that hasn't happened. Um, but I, whilst she's lost only to, to really mostly good names, so a couple of the recent score lines the the heavy defeat to Sloane Stevens the the heavy defeat uh, the the other week to Paula Badosa which was 6262 those sort of score lines alarmed me a bit i mean maybe she's running out of gas a bit um but she was schooled at the US Open by Sloane Stevens and that that was a a jarring sight to me um not not that Stevens doing well is is a great surprise but that was a a performance and a, and a matchup that just took me by surprise. Um, but I've got her second because I think her appetite is so, is so there for all to see. And I think it, it means that she's just going to keep on 
turning up week in week out and improving and finding ways and i think her game is because she's a bit more she's just tore hardened in a way that Raducanu isn't going to be for another 18 months um and fernandez i think i've got in fourth and i feel she feels like the one that i'm always going to end up slightly forgetting about like sophia kenin which feels wrong because she's another one who just keeps on turning up and but i think maybe it might this next year might be a little bit more tricky for her just because she doesn't have the natural win easily moments uh with her game i think it, it's going to it's it's harder work for her but i think she's going to have more really good seasons to come in the future and and just still be a factor i'm just not sure it's going to be in 2022 radicano i think you you're right i think she's going to have there's going to be a lot of for or about her generally but she's going to have some moments which just put the points on big time on a on fast surfaces i could see her doing really well at wimbledon again i could see her doing really well at the us open again and and tournaments where it's a bit quicker um but uh yeah i don't think you're going to see just go in a straight line for her next year it'll be ups and downs Mm, the clay is a very good point, isn't it? I mean, we're talking about yeah. players here that <laughs> we've never seen play on a, a clay court, right? I mean, I, I know I know Leila Fernandez will have played tour events on a clay court. I I honestly can't think of one that I've watched. I, th- I think I watched her play Kvitova at the French Open. Have a, have a memory of that. She's certainly got a bit more, ex- well, vastly more experience than Raducanu, considering Raducanu's experience is, <laughs> is naught. <laughs> I've I mean, played more clay court matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that is going to be yeah absolutely fascinating next year. But um, yeah, it's fun, cracking question. I mean they're all cracking questions. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile dot com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The next one is from at Miss Jess on Twitter. She says, I assume it's a she, apologies if not, the podcast's always been great. Thank you very much. But I think you've stepped up another level with Matt being a permanent fixture. Agreed, Jess. He's like the perfect middle level head. Let's not think too much about what that means about our heads, David. <laughs> so my question is, which player do you think could use a mat? Someone knowledgeable about the sport and a calming influence. Uh, well, I've got down, um, for men, I've got Stefanos Tsitsipas. Oh, good luck with that, Matt. I think could just do with some straight talking from a very calm what would you Wise, say, Matt? What would you say? Head. This, this is your audition. What would I say to Stefanos Tsitsipas? Yeah. I can't get through this question. This is mortifying. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have the credentials. I, I, I genuinely uh, okay, have fine, no fine. idea. Fine, But you, you've, you've, for, for some reason, you've been given the job with Stefanos Tsitsipas. You're in the locker room with him now. No, you're in the loo with him. He's having a bathroom break. I'm texting him. He's called him. you. He's he's called you from the loo. Well, I'd say what sort say? your shoes out would be would be number one. Get some <laughs> shoes that fit you. Yep. Number two. Number two would be. I don't know. What do you think? What, what's holding Sitsapas back? I, I think he's got this weird thing where he can't play in the second half of the season. I think he needs to short sort his scheduling out. Yeah, yeah probably yeah. that, actually. That like, I think yeah, he needs to too. schedule like a top player, like back mm. himself more. And What Matt does with me is, is, and it's a bit mortifying considering he's 25 and I'm 48, but he calms me down a bit when I'm getting overexcited about ideas that aren't really realistic uh, or sort of... You know, we've already got a plan and I've come up with another three ideas on top of the plan. Uh, which... I tried to do that for a decade before Matt came along, very unsuccessfully. <laughs> yeah, we used to end up arguing. Catherine, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, you give me your Sitsipas one quickly and then I'll just tell you something else. That no, I, no, no, that no, I... no, no, I was never... Oh, okay. Well, was... no, no. Catherine hasn't been no. thrown under this bus. Yeah, the, the, no, scheduling, no. the scheduling was for me. But can I just say, when I, when I said at the start of my answer, I've got written down Stefano Sitsipas, I've just realised that was for the next question. Um, so <laughs> the actual answers I've got written down <laughs> are, uh, number one, Denis Shapovalov. So, Matt, what would you All like right. to say to Dennis What are you Dennis saying Shapovalov? to Dennis? Well, look, I think if we're asking for a calming influence... <laughs> then, yeah, Shapovalov is the one that, that sticks out. But then he's tried to be calm, hasn't he? He's tried yeah, to sort of embrace he's, he's calm. he's already doing his meditation his, and, and that, stuff. And that feels like a contradiction to the rest of his game. Um, and he seems a bit sort of stuck in between. I thought maybe Andre Rublev, you could just tell him to ch- just chill out and stop. Doesn't matter st- that much. Do- yeah, just go and get a hobby or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, I quite like that. Stop wanting it so much so soon. I don't know. Just go and have a beer or Mm. read a book or... Play more mixed doubles. Play... (laughs) Yes! That went well. He liked that. That was fun, real Lev vibes. Matt Matt telling players to play more mixed doubles, that is the influence that tennis needs. I, I think Shapovalov actually needs to be told... A few home truths, personally, um, in in a nice. I mean that in a nice way because I th- I do like Shapovalov. I, do, do you want to be that guy, Matt, <laughs> sitting down telling <laughs> Denis Shapovalov home way, truths? Not, not in a kind of lecture, but I think he, I think he needs to listen and stop thinking he knows it all. He comes across to me as if he just knows it all already, and and I don't. And again, I think he he. It's coming from a good place. I think he's a nice lad, Shapovalov, and I love what he tries to do on court. But come on, some of the people he's been losing to, and the manner of them, after particularly after Wimbledon, are just just not on. And this is still junior behaviour. But if Mikhail Yuzhny isn't getting through to him, <laughs> well, he seems pretty got. straight talking to me. Well, what are you going to say, Matt? That that's going to get through to him in a way that Mikhail Yuzhny, who wants batted his own head with his racket to the extent that he drew blood. Uh, what are you going to say that will that will get through? I mean, I don't think Shapovalov would be good. I'm a bit over Shapovalov at the moment. Mm. I'm having a break from him as well. I've got a woman as well. Go on. Mm. Irina Sabalenka. Oh, I, I feared it would be that. Well, would he... Would... What are you saying to Sabalenka then? Well, she does need to calm down on the court. The clearest example is her semi-final against Fernandez at the US Open. She got herself completely stressed out in that match. And (sighs) this is really hard. Nothing's more motivating than someone just sighing at you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sighing at you and telling you what you're doing wrong and not having Matt, any answers. <sighs> Great, I'm pumped. Thanks, Matt. But, you know, in reality, he would do it in such a considered, yes. understanding, soothing kind of way, which he does mm. with us, Catherine, which, again, yes. is rather embarrassing. I do think I do think Irina Sabalenka could do with some soothing. Mm. Don't you think she's quite a different personality on and off court? Like... Off court, she seems really bubbly and, you know, a a bit out there, sure. But she seems to have fun off court. And I Mm. never get the sense on court that she's having a whole lot of fun. It's a bit tortured, isn't it? Mm. I think she needs to be shown video of of these matches. And maybe that happens already. But she needs to be shown matches where it looks like she's in charge, hitting the ball a million miles an hour. And then she kind of ends up beating herself or somebody mm. enables her to beat herself by hanging in and making a play that extra three shots in a rally. And, and you can see the, the red mist build inside her as she's just so frustrated. And I totally get it, but the, there's definitely room for improvement there, I think, within her. She could be even better. Mm. It's difficult because you don't want to take that fire away you know that is one of her strengths when she's playing well that sort of overwhelming force that she brings to a court but 
it's also her biggest weakness when when she's not playing well. And I, I don't know how you sort of balance those two things out, but I think that's what needs to happen for her. I, I'm going to let you off this very, very pointy hook, Matt, because I feel like this question actually segues very nicely into our next question. Oof. Not least because David spoilered <laughs> the next question. But anyway. So I, got, I got the answer. <laughs> Stefano sits about. Don't know what the question is anymore. <laughs> this is from Dominic uh, on Instagram. Who will be the next first time major winner on both the men's and women's tours? Who have you got in the women's, David? Uh, Paolo Badosa. And I know that that seems like incredible recency bias. And uh, mm. and I did look, I hovered over Sabalenka. The reason I went with, I think the, the common denominator for both the men and the women to my answer was that I see it coming at the French Open. That's where I feel like there's a, there's a deep reservoir of players who all can break through there. And on the men's side, Alcaraz. Kasparud. I still ended up going for Sitsipas because he got so close last time and I also think he's he's got at least the possibility on of doing so at the Australian Open maybe or at the US Open um, but I think the thing with Badosa is I just feel the shape of her strokes are perfect for French Open and she's getting better and better um, and I could see her winning Roland Garros sooner rather than later, maybe maybe next year. It's, it's kind of amazing when you go down the list of WTA players. How many have already won a slam? Like, there's there's there feels like there's lots still to choose from, but there's also lots who have grabbed that that first slam. Um, I landed on Badosa as well. Again, could well be a bit of recency bias there, but I just think what we've seen from the other real contenders for this question in some of the biggest matches just slightly concerns me in terms of Sabalenka, as we've discussed. I think Jabir and Sakari are absolutely heading in the right direction, but they don't actually win a lot. They don't end up winning the title that often. They they have great weeks, but then they sort of just, just fall short um, in those biggest matches, whereas Badosa has just won Indian Wells and played a fantastic final against an opponent who demanded her to play that, that well. Um, and I agree with David in terms of the French Open aspect there as well. That's We've seen a lot of surprise winners at the French Open for quite a long time now. You know, Ostapenko, Krejcikova, even Sviontek. These were not people we were expecting. I think there's opportunity there. And I think Badosa, with her clay court prowess, could take advantage of that. I also like her on hard courts as well. And actually, she did, she did all right at Wimbledon. So I think she's pretty well-rounded. And I agree with you on, on Sitsipas, actually, for the men. Again, first half of the year is where he's had his slam runs. He's never done anything at Wimbledon or the US Open. But yeah, I, I could see him winning the Australian Open or, or Roland Garros next year. Mm. I'm afraid we might all be in agreement here. I definitely think Sitsipas. I, I... I, I, I very quickly came to the sit-to-pass conclusion. In terms of the women, I had to get the ranking up and I, I had exactly the same thought process of you going through like, oh, they've all they've all already won them. <laughs> um, and I, I landed on a short list of Sabalenka, of course, Jabir, Zachary and Badosa. And... Jabir and Sabalenka, strangely, I sort of grouped in the same category of they have the game. They clearly have the game. But Sabalenka has shown us 
significant question marks over her mentality. And as as you say, Matt, that there've been no sort of awful losses for Jabur, but haven't got the evidence of her doing big winning. And there's there's more players that have the game than there are players that have done big winning. And I think Badossa has the game, and we've just seen her do big winning. So, yes, it's totally recency bias, but I I landed on Badossa as well. But I was. I was a li- I was tempted by Jabur. She was, was very interesting, by the way. After mm. her run in Indian Wells, and she ended up breaking the top ten, and we had that will she will won't she or has she or hasn't she kind of conversation about that, and she ended up doing that. Um, that she ended up losing the next match that she played against Badossa, and she lost it heavily. I watched that match, and she. She was terrible for her, for her level. You know, she could not get it going. And yet, she's one of these players that when she's energized and freewheeling downhill, I mean, she's nigh on unstoppable. She was making other good players look really ordinary in the run to that point. She has this injection of pace on the forehand, flicks the ball. She's playing with you. She's she's playing the game as though she just it's just an opportunity to show how amazing she is, which I, I personally, it makes me want to watch her all the more. I love every minute of it. I just don't know how repeatable that is when the stakes are at their highest and when you are stressed. Because the moment she got over that line and reached the top 10, I sensed that she showed how much of a weight that had all been on her and how, how the feeling of... of nirvana that she experienced just suddenly led to the the low afterwards the down the 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 emptiness of kind of being just flat suddenly um and i actually think that that may now help her in the early start parts of next year she's already got that under her belt now she can build again and her game works on kind of all the surfaces so I'm certainly closer to thinking that she will be part of a mix at some point in my lifetime than I was this time last year. A mix, just mm. not the mix. <laughs> Next question from Nick Prophet on Instagram. What would tennis be like if there was only one serve? Who would benefit and suffer the most? Would this impact the women's game or the men's game more, if at all? Um, it would surely impact the men's game more hmm. because yeah. it's a more serve-dominated game. More points, cheap points are won on first serve on men in men's tennis than in women's tennis. And when you reduce it to one serve, it, okay, you'd have the occasional moment where a player would gamble and that would be an interesting facet to the game but basically you'd be seeing a second a second serve almost all of the time yeah i wonder whether nick profit was uh was diego schwartzman's alias because i mean (laughs) (laughs) schwartzman sort of plays the game with one serve you know he, he is at such a disadvantage compared to most of the other players in the field and yet he's still managed to get into the top 10 I can't really picture his serve in my mind. I don't really notice it. It's a point starter. <laughs> it really is nothing more than that. I think he's. I think he hits his spots quite well. He's quite accurate with it, um, and he certainly just as he gets the most out of 
sort of all his game. I think he does get something out of his serve, but he is at a disadvantage, a massive one compared to other players. And, you know, if you take the serve out, he would he would be doing better, I believe, even better. His return stats are, are fantastic. Um, I think... I think sometimes you hear sort of non-tennis people think, well, why why is there two serves in tennis? Like, can't pros just get the ball into the court? Like, shouldn't they be able to do that? And yes, of course they can. I think it would detract from the game if you took away the second serve. Um, I think it would take away an aspect of the game, which I enjoy, which is a great returner trying to decode a great server. You know, I've, we've enjoyed Andy Murray against John Isner or... Djokovic against Songer or Federer against Roddick. Those have been interesting elements to those matches. Um, and I think it would take away variety, which is already diminished. But if there was only one serve, how much serve volley would we see? I think even less. Um, how many net approaches end up off the back of a good first serve, then a forehand, and then you come in? I think a lot of variety comes from the fact that you've got that first serve. I think... I think you'd end up with way more just baseline rallies. And look, that's that's fine. I enjoy that. I probably enjoy that more. But I like the variety as well. And and I think it would impact the men. But also, I mean, it would impact the women. The, you know, Serena Williams' serve, I think, is the greatest serve of all time. If she only had one serve, would she have been as dominant? I think Ash Barty's number one in the world at the moment for lots of reasons, but I think her serve underpins a lot of her success as well and leads to some of her variety, the way she sets up her points with that. So I think it would look quite different, tennis, and I, I think it would be worse if, if you just had one serve. I would like one tournament per year to feature <laughs> only one serve. I, I feel that about a couple of aspects to the sport. You know, I wish there was a sort of a themed tournament. Um and and I think that that could work. I, I think the players that I thought of that would benefit or certainly still be just as strong, aside from the ones with very strong baseline games, are the ones that have really reliable actions that can put loads of kick on the ball, who have just great second serves as it is. Um, and I, I actually think Barty would, would pr- prosper. I think Maria Sakkari would. Um, players that can just really get the do more than just start the point with a reliable serve um i think i do think djokovic would be even more dangerous i think he would have had an even better career if if that was the case um i think somebody like zverev would have be, be nowhere near as potent personally um because i think he wins so many free points but um and and i think he could get more wobbly sort of thing um he couldn't he couldn't do the going full out necessarily on a second serve? I don't think all the time the way he's tended to do recently. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd happily have one tournament a year and try it out. Mm, I'm very on board for themed tournaments <laughs> like that. Still want my wooden um, rackets tournament as well. Yes, David Law does the past. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a couple more questions, so we might have to go. Might have to go a little, not quite quick fire. Uh, medium-paced fire, please, <laughs> for for our remaining couple of questions. Uh, the first comes from Rebsrim slash PG22 on Instagram. Not sure what's going on there. Uh, what do you think of the ele- electronic line judging that we've had in recent tournaments? Good, bad, irritating, slash takes out the faffing, less drama, etc. I mean, I'm all for taking out faffing. <laughs> 
as we've established on this podcast. Um, I, to be honest, I, I don't have massively strong feelings about it. I think it's fine. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't sort of campaign for it to stay. I also am not going to march for the return of line judges as much as I feel for them and the sort of the the erosion of that profession. Um, you know, I I don't think sort of stalling technological advances is is the answer to that. Um, I definitely, definitely, definitely am opposed to video review of mm. a call that is not going to be changed. I find that ludicrous. Um, but I'm aware that w- what they're trying to do with that is recapture the fun of a Hawkeye challenge. But it um, doesn't. It doesn't. It uh, and it doesn't. There's no fun to it whatsoever. No, none at all. It's ludicrous. Get rid of it now. Get rid of it. But... It's an acknowledgement that something is lost. We've lost the fun of the Hawkeye challenge. Again, I don't feel that loss too keenly. I'm okay with it. Um, So I I just find it hard to get riled up either way on it. It's a rare, it's a rare (laughs) topic that I am not riled up about. Turin will be interesting in that way because they're going to have it back. They're going to have... Um, Hawkeye challenges during the ATP finals and uh, that will be interesting to see how that feels after so much time now with Hawkeye live and and it was interesting watching a match with my daughter recently Um, sometimes you know there might be a final set tie break or a match involving one of the British players she really likes and I bring the iPad over and sit down with her and she'll she'll watch it with me while she's having dinner and the thing she said to me in the middle of the match was oh don't they do that thing with the, the challenges anymore and the heartbeat and the sort of, you know, looking at the, whether it's in or out? And I said, no. And she said, oh, I really liked that. That was a lot of fun. You know, she's 11 years old. And I thought, well, that's interesting. She's actually noticed that's gone. And um, and I do think it's taken something out of the sport a little bit. It's it's added something in a different way, efficiency and faff-free and all the rest of it. But yeah, I, I do miss it a bit. And, and and the point has been made by a few people that there's a there's a visual element mm. lacking to the line calling. You just hit, you you can hear the out call, but you don't see a, a line judge's arm go out. And I think that, that that I believe is going to be addressed. It certainly needs to be, I think. Yeah, for various reasons, I often end up watching tennis on mute if it's in the background. And if I'm watching a rally and there's no line judge, you have to wait for the score to flick over to, to determine whether a, a close shot was in or out if you don't have that out call, um, where normally you would just look at the line line judge's arm going out or, or not. So I definitely think they need to add a visual element. I don't know what that is, but, you know, with the electronic boards at the back of the court maybe they could do something with them I think that would help um yeah I agree my, my biggest concern with all this is actually not the impact on a tennis match you know I I, I thought I wasn't going to like it but actually I've I've been sort of indifferent about it I, I don't really mind n- not having challenges but my biggest concern is is the pathway for umpires you know if the if there are significantly fewer line judges, where are the top umpires coming from? 
Um, and Dave points out as well that lower down the tours, you know, it, if it's expensive to have Hawkeye live. Um, how will futures and challengers cope if there are fewer line judges around, if they're not involved on the main tour events uh, and can't make a full mm, very good point, full-time though. career out of it? So I think there's a reason why we've sort of always had line judges. And if I had to choose, I would probably prefer the previous system of line judges and challenging it feels like quite a good compromise that for me final question comes from egg bob beans and again apologies that's uh, if i've which i have almost certainly got that wrong uh this comes from instagram the sweet spot in a tennis match is when two players play their best at the same time this seldom happens in the course of a tournament let alone an entire season however there have been occasional matches throughout the decades where both players have sustained their highest level for an entire match. He he or she gives the example of Brady versus Sarker in the US Open semis last year. They ask, what are your top five purple patch matches? Uh, they say, Bedosa as our anchor at India Miles has to make the shortlist, or is that my recency bias? Well, I actually think there have been a lot more than perhaps that question suggests um i'm going to go full recency bias for this and say a couple that sprung to my mind from this year um the first is kerber against sara Saribes tormo at wimbledon mm. and i'm sorry to bring that up david because i know you enjoyed that match uh on a bench outside the court i enjoyed the sound of it <laughs> david heard it and to be fair it sounded great the crowd were wild for it the crowd knew how special um what they were witnessing was it was just two players toe-to-toe drawing the best out of one another um it almost you know it looked like a looked like a game of course it was a game but it looked like a sort of computer game at points It, it became ludicrous it was it was that high level and it felt rare. It felt really, really rare at the time. So I would definitely sub- submit that. And I would submit, look, I think I'm not sure there exists an example of a five set men's match where both players have played their best for the entirety of the match. Because I don't think that's possible. I think that's not the point of five set tennis. Um, I'd say probably the closest to it with you know with the caveat of recency bias here would be Nadal against Djokovic at the French Open this year there were huge periods of that match where two of the best players of all time were playing their best at the same time and it was extraordinary to behold I know it didn't end like that I know Nadal was was a shadow of what had come before in that fourth set but for a sustained period and a best of five set match that was as close as it gets I think I have to say you've given me goosebumps describing that because and I want to go and watch it again because I have it written down but I the way you've just put put it that is what it was like I can't remember what it what was it set three or four Mm, that was the tie break set set. Mm. and I I haven't seen it since I just know how I felt at the time as they just as you say two titans of the sport going toe to toe playing their best stuff on Nadal's turf and Djokovic coming, somehow coming out on top. I mean, incredible. Um, I'll, I'll actually give you just a – I mean, I, I got very frustrated after this when I was trying to compile a list because 
so often I'll watch a match and we'll talk about it maybe on WhatsApp or talk about it on the podcast and we'll say they both played their best at the same time and I never make a note of which one it was and I wish I had this ongoing list of matches so that that I could always refer back to but I'm going to go back quite a way to 2001 US Open um, Pete Sampras against Andre Agassi four tie breaks and ahead of the fourth one they both got a standing ovation before the tiebreak even started. And that's because it was a bit like the Nadal-Djokovic sets that you you discussed. Um, the other one, I'll also go back also to the US Open. So many wonderful memories from that tournament. And I covered this match in 2003 between Justin Ennan and Jennifer Capriati. And it was Ennan who won it 4-6, 7-5, 7-6. Two very different types of player. Um, stylistically, visually in the way they hit the ball and go about their business. But they were both bringing it. And it was, you know, Capriati was such a favourite of that crowd. And we don't have enough vivid memories of her recently in a positive way. But God, if you went back and saw that match, you'd be on the edge of your seat even now. And it's 18 years on. Matt? Um, I will say... A match we did for Tennis Relived, which was Venus Williams, Lindsay Davenport, 2005 Wimbledon final. I always remember that line Davenport gave you, Catherine, in the interview saying she knew at the time how good that match was while she was playing it. Just an extraordinary match. I think the longest Wimbledon final, um, just an extraordinary level throughout. Um, and then the men's match which comes to mind is from the 2009 Australian Open, Vadasco versus Nadal. Oh, yeah. That was peak Nadal in terms of his movement and his defence. And yet Vadasco hit about 100 winners past him and still lost the match. You know, Nadal, Nadal's a guy who brings his best level, you know, he sustains it. He, he can sustain it over five sets. And Vadasco in that match lived with him and still couldn't quite get it done there's a there's a banana forehand around the around the net post that I always remember that Nadal hit just just a stunning match and made even more stunning by the fact that Nadal backed it up a couple of days later by beating Federer in five sets as well just do you you know that match finished 193 points to 192 I looked it up actually because I had it on on my short list as well and um but I'm I'm living off memory there, really, because that's 12 years ago and I haven't seen it back since. But, yeah, the 100 winners is a, a great selling point. We're all living off memory, David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and with that, I I think I think that's a wrap, not least because I need to head to YouTube to spend my day <laughs> re-watching all of those matches you've just listed, genuinely clearing my schedule. Um, what a what a list of questions. Really great questions. Thank Fantastic. you, Dave. Thank you, Rose. You've really done us proud there. I uh, enjoyed that a lot. Any any questions that lead to a thought experiment of Matt being locked in a toilet with Stefanos Sitsipas? <laughs> I think. Even, even if by accident, <laughs> <laughs> because I got the wrong bloke. <laughs> Uh, it's been a morning well spent I hope you agree Billie Jean King sponsors Billie Jean who spent uh, almost the entirety of that podcast asleep on my shoulder until I had to to 
relocate to charge my ailing laptop battery. Sorry, Billie Jean. She's now looking longingly at me from the floor. You're still sponsored by Billie Jean King, so (laughs) cheer up. Uh, (laughs) Zeus, Scousel, Mousel and Rogue are our mascots. We haven't disgraced them yet this week. Actually, no, we have disgraced them. Yeah, we're all Uh, out. Marketa von Drosheva, the prediction killer. Let's not dwell on that. Uh, Let's dwell on Chris Albert Lee, our executive producer and top bloke. Hello, Chris Albert Lee. And that's it for this week's tennis podcast. We'll be back, won't we, with another one next week. David's off to Croatia. Happy holidays, David. Thank you very much. Very much excited. (laughs) Yeah. Please do remember the rules about frequency and tone of sunny beach pitches that you're oh, yeah. allowed to send. Yeah, yeah you, you won't hear from me for seven days. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, thanks very much. Those are the rules. Thank you for listening. Sign up to the newsletter. Leave us an iTunes review. What else can you do? Is that all the things, David? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and all of those things. And uh, that'll give you the chance to submit questions for our next listener questions special with uh, another guest editor. So thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with another tennis podcast next week. 